Rameen. Today is the fourth Sunday of the Blessed Month of Ba'una, and we are still in the season of the Holy Spirit. We celebrated the Holy Pentecost a couple of weeks ago, and the readings this month continue to speak to us about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Church and in the life of each one of us as believers. And uh, the Gospel today, taken from the Gospel of St. Luke, speaks to us about how to live love for our neighbor through the work of the Holy Spirit, elevating us to a sort of supernatural love. It might seem that the, uh, the Gospel today is, is a kind of summary of the Gospel teachings of the Sermon on the Mount and many of the parables about how we treat one another and how we love one another in the way that God has shown his kindness and his mercy and his love towards us. The Gospel today says, For he, that is God, is kind to the unthankful and evil. And after this, he says, Therefore, be merciful. In other words, he begins in this passage that I want to recite to you, this, the conclusion of the Gospel this morning, by saying that we do these things because he first is the one who is kind and merciful to us, even though we are evil. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So the Lord commands us to be like God in his kindness, his mercy, his forgiveness to the evil person, which is us, in which he forgives and loves us and is merciful to us. None of us is excluded from that category. Christ, in another place, he said, if you, as a father, if your son comes and asks you for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? So again, he says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. So let us begin with this truth that all of us are in this category together. Each one of us is evil in the sight of God, being redeemed only by his blood and by his mercy and compassion towards us. So I want to take, of course, there are so many beautiful things in the gospel this morning that we can reflect on. I want to focus on judgment, on judgment. The problem, of course, with judgment is manifold, and uh, there are many volumes of books in the Desert Fathers who have spoken tremendously and, and thoroughly about judgment. I cannot exhaust all of the, the important points that we need to speak about. But let us just take a few meditations regarding the sin of judgment and how we might be aware and attentive in our own lives at catching this evil as it approaches us and to be on guard. The problem, of course, with judgment is that it is an indication, uh, an indication of our own self-righteousness. Um, the easy way to think of that is that as soon as we, as soon as we forget that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, then we judge. Another way of looking at it is in the opposite. If we judge, then it means that at that moment that we have judged, we have forgotten that we are 
in need of forgiveness. So the problem of judgment is that it is an indication that we ourselves have turned to God and said, we are not in need of your forgiveness because we are not evil, because we are in fact righteous before your eyes. So anytime we catch ourselves judging someone, let us be sure that at that moment we have ceased to be sinners. We have ceased to be in need of forgiveness. And so self-righteousness clouds our, our view and uh, causes us to think and to see uh, in a way that is not reality. One time the two pious um, Orthodox men went to go visit Elder Paisius. And when they went to him, it was during the beginning of the great fast, the Lenten fast. And they saw Elder Paisius boiling some milk. So these two pious, uh, self-righteous Christians um, kept watching and they kept boiling themselves inside. And at one point they couldn't control themselves anymore and they reprimanded the elder. And they said, Elder, do you not remember that we are in the beginning days of Lent? We are in a strict fast and here you are boiling milk to drink. The elder was silent and he didn't respond to them. Next he went in to his cell and he brought six small porcelain cups and arranged them in a row. And then carefully he filled each of the porcelain cups with the milk that he had boiled. He waited a while for the milk to cool down a little bit and the two pious Christians were boiling inside as they see all of this unfolding before them. And then they saw that the elder went outside and he put the six cups um, in a certain place on the ground near uh, the edge of a bush. And then he sat back and he waited. And a few minutes passed and out came from the bush a viper, a snake. And the snake appeared sort of cautiously because there were people there. And after the viper, five baby snakes came after. Before this, they noticed that the elder had done some sort of strange whistling sound before the viper came out of the bush. And so the viper and her five children came into the six porcelain cups that he had poured the milk and they had their morning milk. Apparently it was a morning tradition with the elder. Now, you might say, well, of course, these two pious Christians should have known better than to judge a saint. But sometimes we, we, we are rightfully judging one another because we're not Elder Paisius or any of the saints. And we're not boiling milk because we have the uh, friendship with vipers to feed them in the morning. But the point is, is that the story is a simple story to remind us that we don't see clearly when we judge. We never see clearly, and that's the problem with judging, is that judgment is always clouded. No matter how accurate you think what's happening in front of you is, you can never take into account everything that is the cause of the action of that person. And so self-righteousness is this clouded vision. St. John Climacus in his ladder, he says, Oh, my friends, if, if you look into your own souls, if anyone could see his own vices, his own sins accurately without the veil of self-love, he would worry about no one else in this life. If you could look at yourself by removing this veil, which he calls the veil of self-love, and this is our problem, is that 
we, we don't remove that veil of self-love. And so we also perceive our own righteousness through this veil of self-love. And we don't attribute to others what we, we don't attribute to ourselves what we attribute to others. And ultimately, this self-righteousness leads to a kind of self-worship. We usurp what belongs to God. We take what is God's prerogative, what is God's rightful place as judge, and we make it our own. We, in a sense, put ourselves, we deify ourselves apart from God. Again, Elder Faisius, he said, the judgments of God are an inscrutable abyss. We should never condemn anyone, for by doing so, we usurp judgment from the hands of God, and we are attempting to become gods. If Christ asks us on the day of judgment, we can give our opinion then. If Christ asks us on the day of judgment, we can give our opinion then. So as I said, the problem of judgment is that when one judges, one ceases to be in need of forgiveness. One ceases to be a sinner at the very moment of judgment. And that's why St. Paul in his epistle to the Ephesians says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Just as the gospel today, we are merciful, we are compassionate, we are forgiving, we are lacking in judgment towards one another because this is how God is towards us. So as one spiritual father said, he said, far I, I am from judging, far I am from judging my brother, I will give thanks that he is there to receive from me the pardon that I have received from God. In other words, instead of judging my brother, instead of finding pleasure in judging my brother, I should find pleasure that my brother will receive forgiveness from me and the way that I receive forgiveness from God. If truly I feel that I have been forgiven, he says, God's forgiveness is uncontainable. Forgiveness is something that overflows from us to others. If we are hardened in our hearts, if we lack forgiveness towards one another, it means that we haven't really accepted the forgiveness that God is offering us. He says, forgiveness is the most beautiful mode of God's love for man and our love for one another. The most beautiful expression of God's love is a forgiving love, a merciful and compassionate love. Judgment is also related to gratitude. As soon as we allow ourselves to begin grumbling and complaining about everything and everyone, we will immediately fall into judgment with everyone and about everything. Another one of the uh, modern holy elders, his name was Elder Eumenius, who died in 1999. His spiritual children said that he was more sensitive to the sin of judgment and condemnation than to carnal and other types of sins. That is, he was more severe on them if they fell into judgment and condemnation than if they fell into sins of the flesh. And he, they said he himself had a great capacity for non-judgment. But listen how they describe what was the attitude that he carried as, this, as part of this non-judgmental way of life. They said if his cell caught fire, if his cell caught fire, he would try to put out the fire. But if later you said to him, Elder, accursed was that fire, the elder, would, the elder nearly caught fire himself, the elder would answer, what's wrong with you? The fire was very beautiful. 
fire was very beautiful. If you would tell the elder that the heat is terrible in Cyprus, for example, where he was from, he would answer you, no, no, the heat is wonderful, it's beautiful. So he saw everything with, with um, the perspective of gratitude, not with grumbling and complaining. And because everything was filled with gratitude and he saw everything with the eyes of gratitude, therefore he was non-judgmental. And the opposite is very true for us, that when we complain, when we grumble about anything and everything, then immediately we will begin to fall easily into the sin of judgment. So St. Paul says to Titus in Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things what are pure. To the pure, all things are pure. If you are pure, then whatever the weather is today is a great gift from God. And also your neighbor is a great gift from God. If you are pure in heart, then the weaknesses of your neighbor is an opportunity for mercy and compassion and forgiveness, not an opportunity for judgment. To the pure, all things are pure. Even the fire that burns down the cell of the elder is a beautiful fire. So judgment and gratitude, judgment and compassion also. When we, when we define the word compassion, it's made up of the two components, com and passion. It means to suffer with. But if you look up the definition of suffering or to suffer, we, we know that to suffer means to experience or to be subjected to something that is unpleasant or bad or evil. But there's another word, and maybe we don't use it so much in the modern usage, but it was more common in older English usage. When you say to suffer someone, it means to tolerate, to be indulgent towards them. Suffer me my, my unpleasant voice or whatever means tolerate, put up with me. So to be compassionate doesn't mean just to feel sorry for somebody but it means to also tolerate them with love, with mercy, to put up with them, to accept them as they are. Again, one of the um, monastic sisters went and complained to Elder Faisius, and she said, sometimes, Elder, I get upset with one of the sisters and I judge her, a very common thing in any community. And he answered, do you have any idea how many demons that sister might be struggling against at that particular time that you're judging her? For example, he said to her, you say to the sister, don't put this item here. The place is over here. The next day, what does the devil do? The devil knows that you are now irritated by this sister because she has misplaced something. So what does the devil do? The devil brings all of his demon friends and he reminds or he assists that nun, that sister, to forget again to place the item in the correct place. So the devil now is working on both of you. He is causing the sister to fall in your eyes, and he's also causing you to be more and more estranged from her, more distant, more angry and upset with her. So this, this, this is how the saints see our struggles. But we don't look at things often with that perspective. We don't see the spiritual struggle that's taking place, the hidden struggle of the, uh, the spiritual battle that's taking place. 
So if for one moment we could have this perspective of the saints and stand back when we see that somebody is annoying us, that perhaps it's not the person, that perhaps it's this spiritual warfare of demons that are participating in my downfall and the downfall of this sister or this other person. We have to be careful. We have to be we have to think with spiritual eyes. We have to look with spiritual eyes. We have to think with a spiritual mind about how these things work. Judgment is very subtle. There's a very powerful story I want to relate to you from Tamad Irini. It's a bit lengthy, but I think this uh, is really a, a story that encapsulates so much of what we want to reflect on this morning and the sin of judgment. The story takes place early in her monastic life, before she was the abbess of the convent of Abu Sufyan in Old Cairo. So she was still uh, a young sister at the time of this important lesson that God gave her. She says that one day she was in the church and she was overhearing some nuns talking about some manual work during the divine liturgy. And on her way to her cell afterwards, she, uh, she was thinking about this encounter with these two nuns, and it wasn't a very, let's say, good conduct that she observed between these two nuns. But she said, I didn't utter a word of judgment towards them, but she was just, it was just a thought, a thought in which she was kind of judgmental towards how these two nuns were acting. She didn't even think that it was really a sin of judgment at the time, and she forgot about the whole thing. That evening she was in, in prayer, and as was her custom in prayer, she was examining herself and thinking about her sins of the day. And then all of a sudden she said, I found myself in front of a large building with an iron gate. A man was standing by the door. He opened it and let me into this place. She said the place was morbid. It was very depressing. It had a wretched smell, and it was very dark. It had stony walls and rooms that looked like trenches. And she said, I saw some nuns standing in each of the trenches, and they were crying. So I asked them, what are, you, what are you doing in this dreadful place? They answered, because we were judging our mother superior and our other sisters. Then they asked me, and what brought you here? And she said, today I also fell into the sin of judgment. She said, I tried to leave the place as quickly as I could. I was looking for a way out. I found a ladder. The ladder led to the door from which she had entered. At the door, she saw a man dressed in white. He said to her, I am the keeper of this place. You have now seen how difficult and how terrible it is here. I told him, but I really want to get out of this place. I can't take it anymore. He said, all of the people who are here used to judge others, and they are not going to get out. But God gave you permission to get in, to see what's happening here, and then to leave. So be careful. I said, I will be. I regret what I have done, and I will never judge anyone again. Please, I want to get out of here. He let me out and showed me a narrow way. It was so narrow that the only way that I could walk through it was by walking sideways with my back against the wall. But there was also a very wide way, full of cars and people and glittering lights. And he said to me, at the end of this narrow way, you will find the convent. But in the wide way, you will lose your way. She said, no, I, I will take the narrow way. 
And so she walked with her back rubbing against the wall until she reached the large gate which led to the convent. She entered her cell, again still in the vision, knelt down and prayed, I have sinned, forgive me, Lord. Thank you for not leaving me in that awful place. Please, Lord, give me repentance and help me not to judge or criticize anyone. At that moment, she regained consciousness and she found herself again kneeling in her prayer corner and she saw that her floor was drenched in tears, but she could still smell that disgusting place. She said she spent the whole night in prayer, in tears, and in humble repentance over a thought. The following day, this is the interesting part of the ending of the story, the, end, the following day she felt terrible pain in her back and in her shoulders whenever she tried to bend down. When the mother superior at the time, Mother Martha, saw, or one of the mothers, I don't know if she was the superior or not, Mother Martha saw her back, she told her that her back was all scratched up and her clothes were drenched in blood. For three days her temperature was 104 degrees because of the scratches and the scars on her back. She went to her father of confession who told her, you should thank God who taught you this lesson early in your spiritual journey as a nun so as not to judge or involve yourselves in matters that don't pertain to you. So there's something very subtle in the story. Her sin of judgment came as a result of curiosity. Curiosity. Another dangerous thing for us in the spiritual life. We see two people talking at church. It sounds like it's an interesting conversation. Perhaps it includes some gossip, and we kind of inch our way over there. Well, what's, uh, what, are you, what are you talking about? Right. What did Abuna do this time? Abuna told us that he... What mistake did he make? Right. Um, or you, you see somebody talking to somebody, and later you say, oh, you saw, I saw you were talking to so-and-so. Everything okay? Be careful when you say... When you hear somebody say, is everything okay? A lot, of, a lot of times that's an invitation. Tell me what's going on. Give me the scoop. Be careful of curiosity. The fathers, the saints tell us, run away from curiosity. If, if you are tempted to involve yourself in something that really absolutely doesn't pertain to you, walk away. Free yourself from the burden of knowing what's happening. Ignorance is bliss, they say. And it's protection. We protect ourselves by avoiding curiosity, which will lead us to judgment. She said, the conclusion, she said, the mother, I followed this advice and took care to put cotton in my ears so as not to hear conversations between the mother superior and any nun. She walked around with cotton in her ears. I minded my own business. I would go straight from my cell to wherever I was supposed to work. Thus I would escape the sin of judgment and act according to the psalm. Beautiful psalm, Psalm 38, verses 13 through 14. The psalmist says, But I am like a man who cannot hear, like one who cannot open his mouth. I am like one who hears nothing and has no answer to offer. How beautiful. Finally, the, the end of the gospel today says, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. There's a very important spiritual law that the Lord gives us. The measure that you use will be measured back to you. This uh, expression is very beautiful. 
In the old days, when you would go to buy grains, you would take a sack in your bosom, and um, as they filled the sack with the grains, they would shake it to remove all the air pockets, and, to, and they would press it down, shake it, press it down, shake it, press it down, shake it, so they could keep adding more, so you could fill up your, your sack to the, to the brim, to the, mo- to the utmost. So Christ is telling us the good that we do, the forgiveness that we offer, the love, the mercy, the compassion, the lack of judgment and condemnation that we offer to one another, he says it will be returned to you in abundance, in abundance, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, running over, will be put into your bosom. What a beautiful promise the Lord offers us. But the, the inverse is dangerous, right? And again, I'll end with this final story that one of the spiritual fathers in his commentary on the gospel today, he says, how do we understand this concept of this law, this spiritual law, that with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. He says, it is like, it is like a beggar who comes to my door asking for water to quench his thirst. I don't turn the beggar away, but I don't consider him worthy of touching his lips to one of my nice cups. So I find the tiniest tin cup in my house. I give him the cup of water and I send him on his way. In reality, I don't want to spend or waste any of my time in his company. And the incident is past. My life comes to its end. I find myself at the judgment in the presence of Christ, the King and the Judge. I anxiously await my reward. I have kept the commandments. I have fasted. I've gone to liturgy and said my confessions. I celebrated the feasts of the church. The king hands me back my tin cup, which I have now long forgotten and certainly didn't expect to see in this eschatological setting, in this setting of the age to come. Seeing the look of dismay on my face, but with infinite kindness, the Lord says to me, as if pleading with the voice of a beggar, I'm sorry, my friend. Even I, the king, have no other cup to give you. It's as if the, the Lord is saying, I wish, I wish I could give you more. But you see, there is a spiritual law that was given. The measure that you use will be measured back to you. So even I, the king, I have no other cup to give to you than this tin cup. May the Lord grant us wisdom and strength and may his Holy Spirit fill us in abundance to be on guard and watchful over the sin of judgment and, and to follow the Lord who is kind to the unthankful and the evil and therefore for us to be merciful and forgiving to one another. To him be glory now and ever and to the ages of ages. Amen. Blessed.